0: Okay, welcome into Lockdown Horn Drugs. Steven Simcox here with you. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and you can get 20% off your next order if you use the promo code LOCKDOWN. Once again, I had some technical difficulties with uh, doing Matt's interview. This seems to be a trend. Um, Last week, I forgot to hit the record button. This week, in the middle of my Zoom, uh, everything just crashed on me. So, I had a lengthy – I had – you know, initially I had done three segments with Matt, and it went well, and then we had to scrap that, and we had a lengthy conversation um, the second time around just about this program and big picture, like what needs to happen with this coaching staff moving forward. So I'm going to let you hear that over the next two segments. But this first segment, I just want to talk briefly about the West Virginia game uh, TCU got stomped. I don't think there's any way around that. I predicted on Friday that they would lose. I thought it would be a close game. I did not think it would be 24 to six, where your offense is just struggling to do anything productive. Um, you know, I knew that there were some matchup problems for TCU specifically, the TCU offensive line going up against that West Virginia defense, defensive line, and that proved to be true. Um, they could not protect Max Duggan. They did not have much going on in the passing game again. And, I mean, it, it's it's the same song, different verse. Um, the offense can't really do anything. I, I thought there were some game management decisions that really uh, missed the mark. You know, the one that I feel like everyone um, was upset about was the opening drive. They do actually get – into West Virginia territory, and they have fourth and nine at the West Virginia 35, and they decide to throw uh, Sandy out there to punt. Now, they could have tried a 52-yard field goal. They also could have gone for it. Um, The punt was successful. I mean, they they pinned West Virginia at the one-yard line. West Virginia proceeds to go on a 99-yard touchdown drive. So it was a really deflating start to the game. I actually didn't have a huge problem with how that played out. Now, I get it, like, punting uh, in plus territory uh, is frustrating. A lot of people think it's something you should never do. I felt like it was fourth and nine. It was early in the game. You didn't expect them to go 99 yards. So I actually didn't have a huge problem with that. Now, I did have a huge problem with later in the game uh, Gary – just the clock management before halftime was was really silly to me. West Virginia has a third and one, I believe it was, and TCU gets a stop, and there's two minutes left, and they decide not to take a timeout. They waste 40 seconds uh, of clock, and then they get the ball back with a minute 20 left in the half, and they run a jet sweep. Pro Wells gets called for holding. Um, after that, they're inside – you know, their own 15, and they just decide to pack it in and take it to halftime. At that point, they're down 14 to three. They don't even try to score before the half, and they don't get the ball back in the second half. Like, West Virginia gets the ball in the third quarter, and they proceed to go down and kick a field goal and go up uh, 17 to three. I just – I don't understand not even trying to get points in that scenario. Um, This team and this program, they just – they play things so conservatively. And it's, it's almost like they go into games just hoping not to lose. Like the offense, their only job is to not turn the ball over and to not put their defense in bad situations. And that's just not a way to win football games. I mean, it, it, it's a way to beat Baylor and beat Tech and probably beat Kansas in a few weeks. But it's not, you know, the way to win consistently against some of the top-tier teams in this league. So – It was a frustrating game. You know, Max didn't play particularly well. He was running for his life all day long. You have the same questions about the play calling that I feel like we have every single week. They're just stuck on jet sweeps. They think that's the greatest thing in the world. And I do feel like there's some cool things that they've done off that action. But, I mean, I get it. You're trying to get outside because – West Virginia is really good in their interior defensive line and and their linebackers are solid and you don't feel like you can run on that front seven. But I mean, you have to, to do something else. Like running jet sweeps is not creative play calling. It's just a way to try to get four or five yards on the ground. So a ton of questions, a disappointing loss, um, you're looking at a situation where you, you probably finished the year four and five. Now, now you're going to get a chance to go out and play Oklahoma state and, and prove that wrong, but it doesn't look promising. And let, let's talk about like what's going on with this team and the issues they're having. And we'll do that with Matt Jennings next. And we'll specifically talk about the coaching staff. But Before we do that, I want to tell you about Coors Light. Uh, I had a busy day today. Um, Didn't get to watch a ton of football, but when I finally sat down and turned on Seahawks and Rams in the late afternoon, I grabbed a cold Coors Light, and Coors Light is the beer, it's the drink that's made to chill. Um, They understand that watching sports is that uninterrupted me time that every sports fan gets. It's that chance to relax and unwind, and when you do that, grab the beer that's made to chill, grab a cold Coors Light, it's cold brewed, it's cold lagered, it's mountain clear refreshment every time you drink it. It's the one I choose when I get done unwind. wine. So when you want to relax, reset, reach for a Coors Light, and you can get it sent straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. You don't have to go to the store. You can just get it sent straight to your house at get.coorslight.com. Always remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Ruin Company, Golden, Colorado. So I had a conversation with Matt Jennings uh, here is part one of that conversation and we talk about the coaching staff Matt had a thread of tweets on Saturday night about is it time to start having a conversation about Gary Patterson and his job status moving forward and we got into that uh, here's part one of that combo wanted to talk with Matt about this team and let's just get into the big picture talk so Matt, you had a a thread of tweets on Saturday after the West Virginia loss about this coaching staff and how much of, you know, the struggles for this team falls on Gary and sort of, you know, where they are with him as a program and moving forward, what the future looks like. So I guess if you just want to explain that a little bit more, uh, do you think they're at a point now where his seat starts to get warm? And what would what would the first step even look like? Because this is not your typical situation as far as – this is not a person who's been around for four or five years and has done a poor job. This is someone who literally built this thing um, for – a genera- I mean, for people our age, he's the only coach that, uh, you know, fans, a lot of fans following the program have ever seen. So where are we with, uh, with Gary and his future at, at TCU?
1: I think you hit on a really important thing there, which is that Gary Patterson kind of is the program. And he kind of, and he didn't kind of he did set the standard and so that's what makes to your point what makes this conversation very awkward and very difficult to have um, and, and, and very difficult for a lot of fans to even like entertain the idea of even having this conversation and it's only because of the way the last three seasons have gone that some uh, that some people have finally started to move toward wait hold on should we be having this conversation so like let's 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 hit that first Like, is Gary Patterson deserves all the credit in the world for like he built this program to be what it is. He's the reason they are, uh, they are have the record they have had over the last 20 years. He's the reason they're in the big 12. He's the reason that they claim six conference titles since 2002. He's the reason that that six TCU players have been taken in the first round of the NFL draft in the last decade. He's the reason the athletic facilities are what they are. And that's not just for football. That's for all sports you know he's the reason that they're recognized nationwide as a as a as a, as a strong football program as a strong brand he's the reason right and so he absolutely deserves credit for that he has a legacy and and that all needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be acknowledged that because of that standard that he set the last 3 this season and the and the preceding two seasons these last three years are are not meeting that standard that he set They're not meeting um, the expectations of what people now have for what TCU is based on what he has accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what makes it really, really hard, right? I mean, for the third year in a row, TCU is going to be fighting tooth and nail to try and get above 500 in November, right? For the third year in a row, they're on pace to finish in the bottom half of the Big 12, you know, behind Iowa State, behind Kansas State, they'd probably be behind Baylor if Matt Rule was still around. Um, third year in a row, they're going to finish in the bottom half of the country in offensive SMP plus they're 95th right now out of 127 teams, you know, and they're doing all they're producing those results with arguably, at least based on recruiting rankings, the most talented rosters that they've ever had in, in the modern era. Right. Um, they, they, they've signed the, the third best recruiting class in the big 12 behind Oklahoma and Texas five years in a row. There's just not a reason for this, right? There's just not um, it, based on talent, based on facilities, based on resources, based on uh, just the only other factor in the equation that is that you can then point to is coaching, and mm-hmm. that's a really hard place to be in. But it's you know it, it we have enough of a sample size at this point that I think it's begin, It's time to start having that conversation about what the next step is. And I'm not even sure if the step is, I don't think the step is outright firing him because I'm not even sure you can do that right now. And that's its own unique ball of wax to try and pull apart. But they're in a situation where they have to have the conversation um, where the the TCU um, uh, athletic uh, administration has to begin asking itself those questions where Jeremiah, Jeremiah Donati has to begin asking himself these questions because it's not up to the standard that um, that certainly that Gary expects and certainly that uh, the, the fans expect that the, that the school expects if they want to keep building their identity around being a place where you can have academics and athletics um, and, and being a strong football program, it's not up to the standard that they've, that they've had over the last 20 years.
0: Right. So there's a ton of layers to this. And I mean, you, you alluded to it, but uh we're not sitting here calling for his job. I think that's an important distinction to make. But at the same time, this is year three. They're probably going to finish four and five. I think they beat Kansas and they lose to Oklahoma State. Now, they still have a chance to go out on the field and you know prove us wrong about that, and I hope they do. But best-case scenario, you finish five and four in the regular season. That's not – contending for a Big 12 championship, as you laid out. Um, And if if you want to just give the coaching staff some grace for this season and say pandemic, no spring ball, go down the list, I get that. I would argue that this team should be in better shape than a lot of other programs because they do have a head coach that's been there for a long time. They have a lot of the same decision makers and a lot of the same things in place um, that, you know, a number of other Big 12 teams don't. But I I can totally see why somebody might just look at this year across college football and basically say, there's not much you can learn from from nine games under these circumstances. I think, you know, the, the first step has to be and whether it's Donati or Boosters confronting Donati, um, there has to be a conversation of like, hey, we're at a crossroads here. Because I feel like I'm sort of over the the past couple of years, we've just sort of always – well, I mean, we I think the majority of fans have said, well, next year is the year, right? Like it's just – this is just sort of a weird – valley that we're in but we're going to have more experience next season and things are going to come together and this is going to be the time where we start to compete again for big 12 titles and i'm at the point now matt where i just think at the moment they are a 500 football team and that's kind of what you can expect from them and if they do better than that then it's a surprise and that's not the standard that's been set over the past two decades so there has to be a conversation of uh, we're we're at a, a crossroads here, and everybody understands the main problem is the offense. So you've got to figure that out, and if if that can't get figured out, then we're going to have to have some harder conversations about where we go next or what you know what this even looks like. Um, because the formula they're throwing out there right now is not working, you know, from a, from a game plan standpoint, from a game management standpoint. Um, and if, if it comes down to this group of guys they have right now, I'm talking about the players, they're not buying into the system or they're not buying into what the coaching staff's preaching then you got to find a new way to communicate it or you have to evolve and find a new way to uh, to try to win games but this uh, this playing you know ball control and trying to play good defense and not make mistakes it's just uh, it's not working um, it's good enough to beat some teams in the league and they, have done a good, they still do a good job of beating somebody they probably shouldn't beat once or twice a year, but it, it's not getting you to a place where you're, you're competing for championships. And that's, you know, that's what we wanted. That's part of the reason that we joined a Power 5 conference is to have the respect to get to that level. And they're, they're certainly not there right now. Matt Jennings, part two of that conversation coming up next on Locked on Horn Frogs will continue – talking about what has to happen for, for this program to move forward and to get out of this rut where they just seem like they're a 500-football team right now. But Before we hear that second part of the conversation, I want to tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the most delicious protein bar ever. Um, they have actually 18 new amazing flavors, including cookies and cream, lemon uh, almond cheesecake, Um, cookies and cream is my personal favorite and you know built bar one thing about it is it's really healthy and it's really um, good for you it's only 180 calories it's five grams of sugar only five grams of carbs so it's a it's good fuel for your body and it's a good snack it's something that I like to eat Um, before I I go to work uh, it can tie you through the rest of the day and again it's not going to weigh you down it's not you know fried food that's going to make you crash later. It's good fuel for your body. And if you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, you can get 20% off your next order. Make your first order today. Go to builtbar.com and use that promo code locked on to get 20% off. Back on Locked On, Horn Stephen Simcox here with you. Here's part two of my conversation with Matt Jennings, uh, talking TCU football with Matt.
1: That I believe is what this, uh, that's what the program has designs to do it's what they have um goals to do is right is to compete for big 12 titles and to and to be nationally relevant and they've been able to do that for a long time to your uh to your point the the thing to hold in the back right now is the offense and so yeah at the very least you have that conversation of like hey what are you going to do you, you have to sit down and have and, and and be you know very direct about like hey what are you what are the concrete steps that are going to be taken to change this the problem with that though is Gary's the one who put the current structure and the current staff in place and he thought it was going to work right he Mm -hmm. saw the struggles over the last two seasons he was like this will fix it I'll bring back Doug Neacham we'll play the hits you know, we'll, we'll bring back the guy who was the play caller when we were good last. When we were last really good on offense, right? It was essentially his thinking, and he'll bring in Jerry Kill. And he's like, Jerry, you worry about the offensive staff. I'll worry about the defensive staff, and we won't have to. I won't have to get involved. That's what. Well, that's the. That's the, the bill of goods that we were sold in the off season, and um, as you can expect, it has gone um, poorly. And so, do you trust? I I, I I think there's merit to the idea that Gary has earned the right to try and fix it, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 the fact that it's taken us until almost to the end of the third year, a third year of this, um, before anyone starts really asking this sort of, these sort of questions, is a testament to how much goodwill he's built up, um, and how much credit he has with the administration and with the fan base. Um, but he's the guy who put the structure in place. He's the guy who, when Justin Fuente left, put Jared Anderson, Rusty Burns in place, and it went poorly. Um, he's, to his credit, was the one who hired Meechum and Cumbie the first time, and that time it worked. But he, then he was the guy who, when uh, when Cumby was not cutting it the last two seasons, decided the answer was, not to okay. Let's try something different, and let's get me further removed from the offense, and not try and influence it. The answer was let me bring in my longtime buddy to to be my eyes and ears in the room, and let's bring back a guy who I already have a rapport with, rather than doing anything sort of innovative or or, or, or different or um, kind of pushing the boundaries at all on offense. The way he's pushed the boundaries on defense for years, and it's and it's and. It's, surprising i guess it's not really surprising but it is a it is a stunning 180 the way he talked about the offensive staff and the way he's talked about the offensive staff this year and 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 talked about ball control and and and, and how to manage a game and and wanting to win with defense the way he's talked about those things lately compared to what he said when he first brought in doug uh doug Michaud and signing company the first time right when he first brought them in in 2014 i remember someone asking him because I was in one of the press conferences, someone asked him about like, hey, are you talk about like the way teams ha- who run the air raid have to practice and how they have to go really fast? And is that gonna you know, mess with their ability to-, to really practice the way they want to on defense and, um, and-, and talk about pace of play and things like that? And Gary, to his credit at the time said, oh no, no, like you gotta let them run the system they want the, w- the way they wanna run it. Right. And so that means letting them practice the way they want to run it, letting them go at the pace they want to go and do it. And, and that was in hindsight, a very stunning uh, take from Gary to be like, Hey, you know, no, these guys, they know what they're doing offensively. I'm going to take my hands off of it. and I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do, regardless of what it means for pace, regardless of what it means um, for how many snaps my defense is going to face, because that's the way you have to do it for it to work. And so to go from that in 2014 and to see just spectacular results from it in 14 and 15, and even in 16, like they were inconsistent, but they were, they were way better than they are now um, Mm -hmm. to see those results. And then to make the about face to where they are now, which is talking about like, we need to be able to establish the run and we need to care and, and and emphasizing time of possession, you know, Mark Cohen, God love him sent out his, 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 uh, um his post-game stat report after the game last week against texas tech and said gary patterson is whatever number a lot versus a little when his teams win time of possession and it's just like you know that's just a cassette that gary loves and cares about is this idea of like we win time possession and that means we're gonna win because that's because that's and it's just wild to when your most successful years in this conference came when you threw that out the window to then be where they are now? And that's the thing that gives me pause to your, uh, on on taking that approach that you're talking about. Not, not that I don't think that's what's gonna happen, I think it is what's gonna happen, but do you trust him to make that hire when he put the structure that's in place, in place now? Um, and I'm not sure that, it, that I'm very hesitant to trust that he makes the right decision this time and puts the right person in place and then gives that person the autonomy that they need to, to make the offense what it, it can be.
0: No, that's all fair. I think those are fair questions. I also wonder, he's, so he says he doesn't want to be a part of the offense, but I think either he is really involved in the structure and how they're running things, Or it might just be as simple as, you know, the reason he brought Jerry Kill in was because Jerry Kill has very similar ideas on complimentary football and protecting your defense and running the ball and those kinds of things. I also wonder how many, and I'm not going to throw a lot of names out there because honestly I haven't like taken the time to research and, um, you know, hone in on a few really bright offensive minds in college football, but, how many like great OCs would want to come work for him. And, and like, that's nothing against Gary. I just, I don't, you know, like Rhett Lashley comes is a, a name that comes to mind of like good, really good play caller, probably can be a head coach at some point in his career. Um, does he want to come into a situation where he feels like somebody sort of Watching over his shoulder and is always very concerned about uh, his play calling and how it affects the defense. I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe there is someone that would want to do that. Um, I just, I'm not sure how those relationships work and, and how all that would go down. One thing that we talked about before we got on the air that I find interesting is so this afternoon, South Carolina Fireball must champ and there has been a lot of discussion nationally about you might not see your typical coaching carousel because, you know, the pandemic and the financial constraints that it's brought, just the optics of firing a coach and spending a lot of money to, uh, to get him out of a contract. um, Probably not the right time to necessarily do that with, with everything going on.
1: Yeah. And there are two aspects to that. There's the, there's the financial aspect and then there's the, there's the optics that you, that you alluded to. Right. So there's the financial aspect. There are some programs that like literally are strapped for cash worth. They can't pay the buyouts for their team, especially if you're looking at, you know, I was, (laughs) this tells you where my mind's at this weekend. I was looking at coach buyouts this weekend and coaching salaries. And especially like Gary's, uh, according to USA Today, has the is is the uh, the ninth highest salary in college football among coaches. He's sitting at like six point nine million, somewhere around there, um, and uh, and it's. It, the other guys in that list with the exception of Jim Harbaugh, who's uh, I think has one year left on his deal after this year, which is why his buyout's so low um, his buyouts in the, in Justin, just in the seven digits, <laughs> everybody else is in eight digits. Everybody else is like, you're paying north of $10 million. Um, a lot of guys, 20, or $30 million to pay out the remainder of their contract. So you're paying them that much money to not coach your football team. That's, do you have the money on hand to do that? TCU, as a general rule, um, I, 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 from everything that I've heard and, and just the sense I get, booster-wise, they have, they have the money that they need laying around to do that, um, to, to pay off whatever the buyout is. Gary's buyout's not public. We don't know what it is because it's a private school. So the financial aspect of it, do you want to do that? Do um, you have the ability to do that? Probably but then the, there's the optics of it. TCU, again, is in a unique situation because like, the media market that they're in and the media environment they're in, there's never the big microscope that's on them the way that it might be on a Texas or on Oklahoma, on a Michigan, but this is a school that cut $20 million from their academic budget this year in response to the financial um, constraints caused mm-hmm. by the pandemic, right? Is it an ethical thing First, is it a moral thing to say we're, on one hand, we're going to cut um, salaries and we're going to cut um, the budget that we have to pay um, teachers and we're going to pay for research. We're going to pay for our students' experience, but we're going to shell out however much guy, uh, the buyout money, the buyout figure is to get rid of the all-time winningest coach in college and in, in, in this school's history, Right. So, that uh, in and of itself makes it a super unlikely move that he gets fired. Um, I, that's just not on the table this year. The only way that Gary's not coaching next year for TCU, um, and probably even after next year, is if he is if he walks away on his own, whether that's someone nudging him to do so, or that he decides on his own, it's going to have to be something. it's going to have to be like mutual to some degree. It's going to have, he's going to have to have a say in the decision. Um, and that's the amount of leverage that you get when you've been the head coach there for 20 years and you've established the program as we have alleged, uh, alluded to earlier, but yeah, it's a really unique and weird year to be doing this um, to be talking about coaching searches and talking about who your next coach is or possibly or making major changes to your staff because there are the caveats of no spring ball and and all the reschedulings and practice time and all that kind of stuff how well can you really evaluate coaches but I think that's where we come to a very very important mark here which is that this isn't just about this season it's about these past three seasons that give you a body of work to the point where you you, you feel comfortable making a, a judgment call about at least that something has to change um some people um like the person talking right now might be a little bit more on the side of like maybe it's you know maybe it's time for for uh for gary to to reevaluate when he wants to walk away um and may, maybe people on the other end of the spectrum were just like, hey, if, you, if he's willing to really take his hands off the offense and, and make um, an inspired hire, then maybe that's enough. Um, I question whether or not he's able to do that. But yeah, to your point, you're in a position where is that even possible to make that happen of, of even having the conversation where you can even push him to do that? I don't know. And that's the uncertainty that we all kind of face in a year like this.
0: Yeah, I would say I fall in the, the category of strongly encouraged to make an inspired <laughs> O.C. hire. Um, so b- before we go, let me just ask you, yes or no, is Doug Meacham on the staff next season?
1: I think not. I think it, I think it ends up being at least public-facing – Much like we saw at the end of the 2016 season, where maybe he doesn't get fired, but he leaves and goes somewhere else or decides not to be coaching anymore. Um, Gary, we've talked, I think we've talked about this before, has a weird track record of not firing anybody. Um, yes. Yeah. Even, even Jordan Anderson and Rusty and Rusty Burns moving guys elsewhere or um, or guys leave on their own. It's very rare that like there's a public announcement under Gary. Um, such and such coach um, has been terminated. It just doesn't really happen. So it, I think if it does happen, it'll it'll look like that. But, yeah, I'm currently very much in the camp that I don't think Meacham's around next year and, I, and probably not come be as well.
0: Okay, maybe this all would have been easier if Texas would have just hired Cumbie like five or six years ago.
1: Man, I, can <laughs> there you, was a time
0: where we were really worried about that. But there
1: was a time when it seemed like TCU pulled off an absolute coup to yeah. keep him around, and 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 again, this is the wild thing: is that in, in for the ensuing like two years, you know, at the end of 2017, it still looked like TCU got a major win by keeping him around. And he looked like there was a lot of talk, at least in, you know, people on the beat, like is Cumby the coach in waiting, right? Whenever Gary, mm-hmm. Gary keeps talking about like, Oh, I don't want to do this forever. Oh, I'm going to, I'm in the next like five years or so, I'm going to hang it up. And so it was thought that he was going to be like, he's going to be the guy like, uh, and, and, and it's going to be a seamless handoff. And, and, um, and now it certainly does not look like that's the case. Um, and, and that's the frustrating because I, because I think, both with Cumby and with Meecham as play callers, you have a body of work to suggest that they can be successful as play callers. Um, but overwhelmingly, the the body of work since then has been that something has changed, and it's at least with the current makeup of the staff, it's not going to work.
0: There's also like an alternate. I mean, there was a time. When Meacham was like gonna be the head coach at UNT, <laughs> like they were right? they were we working were... out the contract. And I remember,
1: then... I remember like trying to like you know pull together, uh, you know, pull together whatever media reporting was out there last night. I had to, I was trying to have like my uh, my blog post ready to go when that hire was official because it seemed like it was a done deal. And then, and uh-huh. then like late in the game, they switched over to Seth Luttrell, and it was, yeah, but it was th- th- how different things look in the matter of four or five years. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's bizarre. And Meech's career arc is, is something else. We could do a a podcast on that itself, but Matt, thank you again. You're very patient with technical difficulties. I appreciate you. This has been locked on Horn Frogs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, Part of the locked on sports network, your team every day.